surgery to somebody else. There'll be lots of surgery in Toronto. Sure about that? Oh, I just talked to Larry again. He said there's lots of great jobs for lawyers like me and surgeons like you. All right, I'll be right back. Ian, cover for me on that surgery. <laughs> well, let's go. All right. Oh, oh. oh Gord, you're going to love it in Toronto. They got roads and everything there. All kinds of roads. And jobs, too? Lots of jobs. Doctoring jobs and lawyering jobs. Jobs for me and you! Oh, let's go, then. All right. <laughs> There's a rainbow in Toronto where the Maritimers are bold. They always get a pot full, but they never get a pot of gold. But they're to it and at it, and at it and to it. You gotta tune your attitude in. If you don't get at it, when you get to it, you won't get to it to get at it again. You won't get to it to get at it again. just so much going on this week. I mean, it's going to be an unbelievable podcast. So much to discuss. I mean, it can't all fit in one podcast. That's why we can't have any guests today. I mean, this is unbelievable. What an amazing week. So much to talk about. So much to discuss on a special Dave Juskamp podcast on a super sunny Sunday special edition. I don't have time for any of that music. I mean, we got to get down to business. It's been a week. It's been only a week, but it feels like it's been like two or three weeks. And I'm doing it on a Sunday again because, uh, well, it's a beautiful day outside and I'm inside. That That's probably the mistake. But I mean, uh, you know, it's just got a busy week. I got the Tom Papa show on Wednesday when, you know, as I usually like to record because that's a good middle of the week, even though there's, you know, for because we used to talk about sports and football and all that kind of stuff and it's not necessary to do the podcast on a Wednesday anymore, but still, I enjoy doing the podcast on a Wednesday when I come home from work and I do the podcast. Feels like I do so, but anyway, I got something to do this Wednesday. Blah 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 blah. Let's get down to business. All right. I mean, I just uh, I like the music to finish, but I really can't concentrate and get into it until it's over. But I guess we'll just start where where we left off yesterday. I know all of you know I went to Toronto which was just only yesterday when taping this. I guess I'll just put it out on Tuesday or something. Maybe tomorrow. I can't decide. I, I, everybody's wondering. Everybody's curious. What happened? Are you through in the business? I've been through in the business for years. Why should tonight be any different than any other day? That's good. Yeah, I'm done. Oh, it's starting over again. I don't know what I'm doing. Look, I obviously I was just waiting for it to finish, and I, ah, blah, blah. I'm all crazy. I'm totally prepared. Everything's cool. Um, let's just start at the beginning. Monday, some of you uh, saw me on the Kevin Brennan podcast. Kevin Brennan podcast, which is even uh, you know filmed live 
or taped live, which I was very surprised about. I had no idea that that was a live uh, podcast. I think that's pretty cool. You, you can take calls and everything. I don't think that Kevin Brennan uses it to his full advantage in the least, but whatever it is, that's what he likes to do. And uh, I'm glad him and his stupid paywall are happy. That's all he ever talks about is a paywall, paywall. I have no idea what a paywall is, but that's all he's talking about. I mean, the guy's out of his mind. He's out of his mind. He's still the funniest guy, but he's so crazy and so obsessed. And he wants to make money, but he doesn't seem to have the patience to wait it out, where I really believe the Misery Loves Company podcast could have made them a lot of money, at least in touring. But he's so crazy. And I think him and Lenny really could have figured it out. Lenny was a good foible, but Lenny, unfortunately, is he's too... Lenny Marcus, we're talking about, he's just too... Um, you know, like all the comics, and we've talked about this before, they're all babies. They're all um, very vulnerable. And I listen, I am too, but it's ironic. I'm, I can take it better than most of them. I mean, I am talking about Jeff. I'm talking about Dave. I'm talking about Sarah. I am talking about uh, Lenny. I'm talking about Jay Okerson. I mean, these guys, I'm talking about Artie. You know, if you say one wrong thing to them, they get very insecure and very upset, and Lenny was certainly not the guy for that podcast. And quite frankly, I mean, I think I would be the perfect, technically foyable for Kevin's podcast. I know Kevin's better than I am uh, as a comedian, and I know kind of how to handle him, maybe to move the thing on track. I don't want to do it because he's crazy, and I'm sure, you know, eventually we would definitely have some form of falling out, and who needs that? Um, since we've known each other for so long and we do like each other very much. But, yeah, I mean, I just think I would be the perfect guy because then, you know, if we went touring together, I mean, you know, I know my place, Kevin Headlines, and uh, I do whatever he needs me to do. But, uh, yeah, I think a missed opportunity on that. But he has gotten another opportunity on the Kumio Network, which I like saying because I believe it's kind of like the godfather of Kunio. Who's playing Cuneo in my version? I can't remember. Is it uh, Jim Norton? I can, you know, the guy's got one line, and I think I added in the line. You never really see Cuneo until he gets killed. <gasps> oh, no, spoiler alert. Mm. Remember, that's happening May 9th. That's a, Oh, I got the late shift um, thing, so that's happening on May 9th. Let me just tell you something really quick. Everybody, uh, two days ago... I got the information uh, when the next uh, Godfather-like show, which will be Greece, is happening. September 12th is the big date. September 12th, we will be performing Greece at the Village Underground. That's our uh, new breaking news announcement. Uh, it doesn't really fit in for what we wanted. Uh, it's supposed to be much bigger news than that. But uh, I just wanted to use it because I was, like, so excited that I found it. Like, I mean, I still didn't find it. Like, it, it was, first of all, it was really hard to find. And you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about this. Hey, Mike, how are you? Dave, one hour ago, Bob Ray conveyed to us an offer for you to host The Tonight Show. <laughs> now, don't jump to any conclusions. Let me lay all this out. The deal is three years with an option. The salary range is 7 to $12 million. Now, see, I need to get the opening thing, Bow! which I have, but I, you know, I'll find it and then we'll work it out. So we always have. So when we have a big announcement like that, but yes, yeah, September 12th, Greece, Greece live. 
<laughs> not the Grief's Life version. We're definitely not using that new Frenchie song. I will tell you that. But we will be attempting a version like we do with The Godfather, the complete opposite thing of The Godfather of Grease. September 12th, Tuesday, September 12th, The Village Underground. I have no idea how it's going to go. It might brandish everything I've ever done, but we're going to attempt it. And then, as you know, in December, Love Actually, and then in March, Goodfellas, we'll be back to our mafia movies that we love so much. But that is the announcement for today. Now, you know, on Kevin's podcast, Jimmy Martinez came in. And if some of you know about Kevin, you know, he had this, you can look it up on YouTube. He had this unbelievable altercation with Jimmy Martinez. So when he came in, I I can't deny, although I like Jimmy Martinez very much, I was a little concerned uh, for multiple reasons, selfishly, that he was going to hijack the podcast in matter of speaking, and, um, you know, number two, that, you know, it would just be a disaster. But he was uh, nice and, and, you know, respectful and quiet. And that's the funny thing about Jimmy Martinez. I'm telling you, once he is, you know, off the air, he might be one of the most politest, quietest person I've ever met in my life. I mean, seriously, he's such a nice guy. Um, it's just, I guess it's all an act and a character. He even said on Kevin's podcast, he was doing a character. So that's smart. You know, I mean, why not be like that? Uh, and then, you know, just, um, that like, like Rickles almost, you know, um, Rickles was this character on stage. And as we've heard from the multiple tributes, he was just a, a sweetheart of a person in life. Isn't that funny? You know, I know that, uh, Rickles and his wife, uh, Bob Newhart, and his wife and Johnny Carson and his wife, they all used to travel together. Now, that's an interesting combination of folks, isn't it? It's kind of perfect. You have Johnny who's bewildered by the fact that these two guys are awesome comedians. And Johnny loved comics. I think he definitely hung out with comics more than musicians, felt more comfortable. I know he used to have Steve Martin over his house and stuff. But he, and then, you know, Rickles, who is this, you know, like just making fun and making wise guys. And Newhart is the, you know, kind of the Todd Barry of... You know, just super quiet, but always coming up with a zinger, even though Todd's a little bit... In, Todd Todd Barry is a in-between Newhart and Rickles. He's like the perfect... That's, you know, if they had a baby, it should be Todd Barry if those two had a son. Um, but that's always... I always thought that was fascinating. The three of them used to travel together. I don't know who I would travel with, I'm telling you. You know, like I just said at the beginning, all those comics are crazy. I can't even imagine. If I was married, who, which comic, which would be a normal person to travel with? I mean, it's never going to be a tell. I mean, even, maybe if he got, if we both got married, maybe that is something we could do. But I, I guess, you know, he's, I mean, our wife, you know, none of us, neither of us, I mean, he travels, but only for work. I mean, I guess, you know, when I do travel, it's for work, except, you know, I took my niece to, London and everything, but I guess the women in our lives would probably make us travel or something, and I wouldn't mind going out with him. I mean, now that he's, um, I don't know, whatever. What am I talking about? I'm going crazy. Let's get to the, oh, you know, um, I was on the Kevin Brennan podcast with Chris Murphy, who I love, but this guy, he bought a cake, and I thought, I don't know why he bought it. I thought he bought it for the staff. You know, that's kind of what it tells us. But then when I looked at the cake, it was like already eaten. And I was like, wait, why would you bring an already eaten? Like he ate some of it. And then he just gave the leftovers to the staff. I'm like, dude, that's not cool. You've never been on this show before. If you're going to bring a cake for God knows what reason, 
then bring a cake for everybody. Don't bring a half-eaten cake. That's like you're giving it to homeless people. It's funny that he would not think that was okay, that he would think that was okay. It doesn't make any sense. Who gives a half-eaten cake to somebody? Either buy a cake, be that kind of person that's, you know, being respectful to the people that work on the show, and be, buying a, bring a cake is weird anyway. They'd probably prefer pizza. Uh, but don't bring a half-eaten cake. That is so weird. I couldn't stop talking about it. I'm like, look, I got to know why. And then he took it home with him. Yeah, I guess I'll take it back. I, it's like I, I've done that sometimes if I, I'll bring like a 12-pack of beer somewhere. And if they're not going to drink, I, I know you're supposed to leave it. But if I really know they're not going to drink it, I'm going to take it back if I can. Because, uh, you know, I want it. And it'll never go to waste in my house. Mm. Especially those little nips. You know, I love those nips. So on Tuesday, here's the big thing. On Tuesday afternoon, I did a reading of Sarah Silverman's new Broadway play. That's right. Not am I telling you that there is a Broadway play based on her book called The Bedwetter. It takes a place uh, in one year when she's 10 years old. And then they're just taking a piece, a portion of the book uh, to do the musical. And as we've spoken before, the musical done by the great Adam Schlesinger, who is such a cool guy. That thing you do, Stacy's mom, let alone uh, he made that great video that Sarah has. Tonight is the night. It's just so funny. I was just, hey, that song's on my head, Rick. Yeah, I figures Adam did it. You know, it's like everything he does. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's good. So... We did a reading. So it's me and four Broadway actresses, like real Broadway actresses. So much so that one of the actresses that was playing 10-year-old Sarah, we saw in a play that night on Broadway. So I'm trying to hold my own with these four other actresses. All of them cute as hell and Judy Gold. (laughs) But Judy Gold is awesome and she was playing Sarah's grandmother and she was really funny. And... When the music came on, they already had it recorded, and um, you know we were just doing the dialogue, and they wanted to see how it looks, you know, before they uh, go further with it. They wanted to see how it reads with a bunch of people, and uh, it was really fun. I played Sarah's dad, and you know, so I was holding my own, and I was doing the best I could, and Sarah was really nice, and she's like writing on my thing. She's like, "You're doing an awesome job." It really made me happy because you know, I mean, these are real actresses, and. Um, and we were at a uh, like a like a table like you know like like you see in the movies, and um, it was very exciting you know like definitely made me feel like I was well like a real actor you know, and the people were there there was this woman who's producing the show is like I think she used to produce Saturday Night Live, and they sent me a lovely email afterwards it was very exciting very exciting, and uh, after we were finished. Uh, me and Judy Gold uh, went to get something to eat at the diner. We had a lovely time together. And then Sarah joined us because then Sarah and I needed to see this Broadway show called The Significant Other, which was great, really great. Now, you can't see Significant Other because it's closing As I speak on this podcast, they're doing the last episode, the last performance right now, which is really unfortunate because it's terrific. 
I, it's just a play. It's not a musical. I had no idea what it was or what to expect. I just, you know, Sarah's like, do you want to see this play? Turns out the guy that wrote this play is writing her play. And I'm like, sure, anything. You know, I'll see anything. So it was really good. It's about one gay guy and his three girlfriends. And everybody seems to find uh, a mate. And he never does. <laughs> I mean, without the gay part, I mean, it you know, kind of spoke to me. I'm like, oh, this is a... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, it was really good. It wasn't sad. It wasn't funny. It wasn't. Yeah, I mean, it was funny, but it wasn't. You know, sad, sad. It was just really good, really interesting. Held my attention the entire time. Performances were great. The girl who it was so exciting to see the girl we were reading with. Sarah didn't read at all. You know, it was just me and these girls. I was listening so she could make notes. It was very interesting to see the girl who was playing my daughter, you know, in the show, being on Broadway that night and just being in character. It was very exciting uh, for me. I felt very close to, you know, maybe something good is going to happen here. Maybe I'm going to be on Broadway. I mean, I don't know. It was just like a wonderful thing to have happened uh, in, in, you know, in anybody's lifetime. For me, you know, you know, I love theater. What can I tell you? And it was very exciting to be so close to it. So, the play ends. Uh, it's unbelievable. It's like, I don't want to tell you, but it's like, there's no way you'll ever see it, but maybe they'll make it a movie. I don't know. And it ends kind of so powerfully, and you don't see it coming, that Sarah was bawling afterwards. She couldn't move. And remember I told you a long time ago that I was with an actress, a beautiful actress, many years ago, 20 years ago. We saw, we saw love letters together, and she couldn't leave her seat. She was crying so hard afterwards. It was so embarrassing and then again you know at least it was sarah this time and she i know she doesn't usually do that so it wasn't an act and it just affected her it just came out and you know people were like are you all right you know <laughs> but i think a lot of people were doing that the ending was um surprising but i remember sitting there going like oh that's awesome because it didn't end happy and you know me i usually like a happy ending but it ended the way it was supposed to end and that made it great and that you know i'll tell you something you know you could do this whole play you can be like this like that but the ending is what made the play what made us say wow this is a terrific play so we finished the show and we go backstage to see that girl and it was great because she's like oh this is dave and sarah you know, we just did a reading today. So, like, I felt like, you know, it's like, oh, this guy's an actor, you know, whatever, and uh, blah, 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 blah. And we were having a great time. You know, the cast gets so excited to, to meet Sarah. It's so funny. You think, like, oh, I can't believe we're meeting the cast. But they feel, just like I tell you with Larry Moss all the time, they can't believe they're meeting Sarah, which is always so funny. And then that other guy, me. Uh, <laughs> but it was really fun. Everybody was nothing but nice. And you know who's in it? is Barbara Barry. You might remember her from everything that we've ever seen on television. She played Barney Miller's wife in the first two seasons. I mean, she's been around for years. And Sarah's like, oh, my God, I love her. And I'm like, you know, I actually do not like her. I've, whenever there was a show that was like Ann Barbara, I'm like, oh, my God, I don't like her characters that she plays I think she reminds me of one of my mother's friends growing up, and so I've always hated any time she's in 
anything. I believe she plays Goldie Hawn's mom in Private Benjamin. Uh, This time she was playing somebody's grandmother. Makes sense. So I've never liked her. Uh, But she was so excited to meet Sarah, they made the girl that we were with uh, come down and get her. And so then Barbara Barry comes in like, oh, my God, you know, I've been telling my my granddaughters, I'm like, I'm going to meet Susan Silverman. And uh, she definitely said Susan Silverman. And we, none of us corrected her. We're like, why bother? I, I have no idea if she knows who Sarah is or not. She's probably the exact same age as my mother. But, um, you know, for, but she a delightful woman. One of those things where I'm like, oh, my God, I hate her as a character but you know as a person she was nothing but obviously a delight it's just so funny that sarah and i had varying opinions on just her as an actress i just hate every time she'd be in so i'm like oh god again there's no other actresses to use i she definitely reminded me of one of my neighbor's friends i'm positive that was the problem and just like you know they play barney miller's wife i'm like i i I want him to have a hotter wife and she always seems like somebody's mom or great you know it's like that didn't seem like a wife to me that seemed like somebody's mother it was always somebody's mother and since in barney miller i don't think they had any kids why not give him a hotter wife what am i saying what am i saying i don't know what do you want to say because it's not like kevin james where like why does he have a hot wife hal linden was a very handsome fella i think just saying he think he could have done a lot better it's kind of funny that the handsome guys have the kind of, uh, you know, not plain, but uh, they got these kind of wives. And yet the ugliest guys on television have the hottest wives. It's, um, well, we know there's a, a problem with, uh, you know, women in television and all that kind of stuff. So we are hanging around the theater the whole time. And then we go out the side door, the backstage door. Where I think there's going to be trouble because, you know, Sarah's there. But they're not waiting for Sarah. They don't know Sarah's there. We go out the side door and there's a security girl there. And she says to me, I love your podcast. And I go, me? And she goes, yeah. And I'm like, I'm Dave. I'm still, I'm still so shocked. Because she, I would say she was maybe in her mid-20s. And it was a girl, you know, just, um, I just never, I, you know, I don't know why we've talked about before. I don't know who listens to this podcast, but I guess this woman did, unless she mixed me up with somebody else. But I, I told them her name was Dave Jessica. She was like, yeah, I know. I, I think she said, I know. I, it's just so funny. Right. I mean, like, and then I was thinking, well, maybe I do talk a lot about theater. Maybe, maybe she appreciates that. But if you are listening, I didn't get your name. And again, I don't. I mean, I assume you knew who I was. I mean, you see my picture, I guess, and you know I hang out with Sarah, so I guess you you must know. But, you know, it, it threw me off because, you know, nobody ever says that. But thank you. And it was nice to meet you if you are listening. <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry you're uh, out of work on, on this night, but I, I assume that you work for the theater so whatever comes in there next, I, I guess you'll have work. But uh, very nice to meet you. I, I can't even... Uh, that might have been the nicest thing I had heard ever. Uh, so uh, wonderful. You know, I was like, well, maybe because I told Sarah, she goes, no way. And I'm like, no, no, for real. I'm like, you know, maybe it's because a lot of times I put Groundhog Day, the musical. So I assume you like theater if you're working there. But um, I don't know. But that was a, a joy. So then I went home a very, very happy man 
with an amazing day. You know, I didn't go to work, and I just went to the reading, which was exciting. You know, I did a good job in front of the guy that wrote the play, in front of the people that are producing the play. She produces Woody Allen movies. This girl, Jean something or other, produces Woody Allen movies. I just don't want to say her name incorrectly. And, um, you know, I mean, that just couldn't be any better to do a reading in front of these kind of people because you never know where people, I mean, even when I'm, and I'm at the lowest rung, but when I'm casting a show, there are some times where I remember people's performances. I'm like, I wonder if we could get that guy. Like, I mean, even the guy I got to play the narrator in The Last Godfather, I mean, I remember from 30 years ago, I'm like, I bet you he would do a good job. So who knows, you know, so it was a great day, all in all, you know, and then go to meet the people after, oh, that was a really great day. That was Tuesday. And then, think about this. Sarah tweets out, oh my God, this play is amazing. It's closing on Sunday. Get tickets while you can. I'm telling you, this is a great play. The New York Times the next day day, had her tweet in the ad. Sarah's tweet in the ad. It's unbelievable the power that she has in this lifetime. The power of her tweets. It's, it's, It's unbelievable. It's amazing. They put it in the goddamn ad in the goddamn New York Times, which is the exact line from author author goddamn klein said it was goddamn klein i don't um i don't i'm thinking of author author because you know it's about the theater and i believe i mentioned something about it the other day and me and Artie always talk about it all the time we talk about the judd hirsch kid in it there's a kid who looked just like judd hirsch who's an author author this al pacino movie from the 80s which is technically horrible but i've seen it like a hundred times when i first got cable it has kids and Al Pacino. It was hard to dislike, but it's not a good movie. But I live from it every day because when we do The Godfather and I'm not on stage and then I sit there and I'm like, oh my God, no laugh, no laugh. He was sitting backstage. I was picturing the guy that wrote this show like sitting backstage going, oh my God, no laugh, no laugh. Because uh, you're just so worried about one line, but that's what happens when you write something and then it's performed by others i'm sure sarah felt that way when she was listening to her play being performed by others now one of the girls there was very nice i will not mention her name but she was a delight very pretty young on broadway she's been in uh, the larry david play uh what was it a fish out of water something i can't remember August Osage County. She's a professional Broadway actress as well. So I asked her out. Yeah, because Dave Juskow has got a little more confidence and he's trying to make the moves. So I asked her out and I say, listen, I got another ticket to Dear Evan Hansen, as gay as that asking out might be. Would you be interested in going? Now, I never said... Would you be interested in going as friends? I never said, would you be interested in hanging out? I said, you know, would you like to go? Now, I don't know what world we're living in where I know I'm old, but, you know, what girl doesn't understand 
it's a social contract. I'm inviting you to a hot play. And it's, you know, I mean, unless I say I'm married and I or something, I, I'm inviting you out. I took her number. But then Sarah cock-blocked me, and she goes, oh, no, he's great, he's great. Now, that's where it should have left, but she cock-blocked, and she goes, he's not going to try and fuck you. And I'm like, thank you, Sarah. So with that, thank you, Sarah. Who knows what she thought? So the whole week, I'm thinking, you know what? You know, we're texting back and forth, uh, this, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And... I um, write, I'm like, oh, uh, on my way to Toronto, I'm like, what are you doing something like on a week? What does someone uh, like yourself, a young Broadway actress, do on a weekend? So I guess I'll just tell you, tell you this. I'll just skip to this um, part. That's what I write her. One half hour before I go on stage... I get a text from her and she goes, oh, I just came back from my boyfriend's house in Philadelphia. And now I'm going to block. I don't even remember what the hell the rest of it said. I just came back from my boyfriend's house. That's I saw that one half hour before I pretty much did the biggest show of my life. Opening for Sarah in Toronto. I'll tell you the whole thing in a second. One half hour. One half hour ago, I got a text from a girl who said, <laughs> I had to play that, right? Um, so all of a sudden, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I'm feeling confident in the act. I'm not even nervous. I get that text. It's, ow. Uh, now, on the one hand, of course, I'm glad she wrote, she had a boyfriend. But that should have been handled a long time ago. Because I was going to ask her to come out with me Wednesday, you know, maybe see Tom Papa's show, and then we could have a drink after. Because I don't want to go in blind and just show up at the thing. But you know what? So obviously I thought about it, I thought about it, I thought about it, I did the show, blah, blah, oh. And then on the way home, I'm texting, and I'm like, you have a boyfriend? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to word this the right way, because now I don't want to go with her. Now, Sarah thinks that's rude. My sister completely gets it. My sister, along with most of my friends, are like, yeah, what the hell? Why wouldn't she mention she had a boyfriend before? What she think is going to happen? I mean, okay, I get, like, I'm old or whatever, and she's much younger, but I, what are we? Like, I mean, it's a man and a woman. This is the way it is. You know, you always be suspicious. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not doing anything bad, though. I'm just saying, you know, it would just be we go to the show, and may, maybe it is a date. I mean, maybe... I, for the fact of the matter is I'm not taking another girl's boy, another, another guy's girl to a show. Why would I want to do that? Haven't I done that enough all through the high school and college? You know, you get, you know, I mean, I'm a nerd. I'm the Anthony Michael Hall in the breakfast club. My first line in Toronto was like, oh, I guess this is where all nerds girlfriends are because they're like, oh, what, who's your date for the prom? Oh, I, I'm dating this model. She lives in Canada. She's doing a Bubble Yum commercial. That's my first line. I'm like, oh, this is the place where all nerds, 80s nerds girlfriends are. They're all in Canada. That's why they can't attend the prom with us. So it's like, I mean, I only know I'm like 50 and I'm like, well, would I still got to sit through this? No. 
the beauty about being older is I'm like, I don't give a shit. I'm going to be like, listen, you're out. I mean, I did it very politely, but I'm just saying, why do I have to put up with it? I don't have to put up with it. I'm an old man. I, I, life's going to go on for me. My life is a disaster. So I'm, I am not going to put up with it. And I don't want to be rude. I don't want to be disrespectful. But, you know, and then right back, I'm like, I, and I said, I can't take another guy's gal. And I put it that way so it doesn't seem, so it seems like maybe I'm a little bit jokey just to see what she writes back. And she goes, no, I, I talked to my boyfriend about it. He said it was okay. I'm like, oh, you know what? This sucks. <laughs> I talked to my boyfriend. He's cool with it. You know what? Are you are you kidding? Right? Guys, girls, am I am I off base here? Don't you think she should have said, I have a boyfriend? Then, of course, yes, it would have put me in a tough spot. But then maybe a day later, it'd be like, I'm feeling uncomfortable that you have a boyfriend. This is really awkward for me. Something like that. But don't you? But I guess she did in a sense, right? Maybe she then, then said it. So it's all good. But then I have the opportunity to say, well, you know, I thought it was kind of maybe a date. So now I know I didn't say it's a date maybe, but I, 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 I yeah, you ask a stranger girl to a show. Sarah's saying he's a good guy. She's not saying he's married or anything like that. So it's like, I mean, what do you think is going to happen? She's been around. I figure she probably doesn't have a boyfriend. She's in the theater. She probably meets all gay guys. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, hey, you're welcome. Hey, it's a guy from Jersey wants to take you out. I'm going to take you out next week, all right? We'll go see a show. That Michael Corleone says that to Kay in the car. He goes, Kay, we'll be around this weekend. We'll go to the city. We'll see a show. How is that unmanly? Just because that was the 1940s doesn't mean I can't still do it now. I'm from the 40s. Now you listen to me and you listen good. When I say we're going on a date, you'll know you've been dated. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? I'm going to make so much trouble for you, your head's going to spin. So then I, you know, I, I took care of it politely, but you know what? I couldn't be more relieved today that I am not going with her. I said I'd rather take my friend Lee Morakis than go with this girl. I mean, I'd rather go with this girl, but you know what I'm saying. I'd rather take my niece, Lee, uh, even Lee's wife, because... We know our status there. Ironically, I'm taking Lee's wife for her driving test uh, <laughs> next week, which is the strangest thing. She asked me to do it. She said, if you take me for a driving test, we'll go to Wolfgang's. And I'm like, yes, score. However, on Tuesday, when uh, in between, we went to Sarah's friend Heidi, whose mother just o- uh, opened a new steakhouse called Maxwell's Chop House on 28th and Broadway. And she wants us to go there instead of Wolfgang's. So I said, maybe, because their menu seems to be similar, but I've been burned in a lot of other steakhouses. So I only ask you this. Do you have the hot foot Sunday at the end? She goes, I don't know. And I'm like, you don't know. We can't go. So we looked outside at the menu. They don't even have the desserts listed on the menu. I go online. They do not have the desserts. And I said, Heidi, I cannot go. I cannot ask my friends to go. If you do not have, we are creatures of habit. We go to Wolfgang's. We have a routine. Get a little, you know, we have a a little get together beforehand. Have a couple of drinks. Then we go over to Wolfgang's. She goes, well, we could do that on my roof. And she's got a great place. I'm like, well, it's not horrible. But you don't have the ice cream sundae at the end. She's like, I'm going to call the chef right now. They're like, oh, we have a brownie sundae. I'm like, yeah, then we can't go. We can't do it. I'm sorry. 
She goes, well, I can tell them to take the brownie out. I'm like, hey, 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 you're not understanding. You don't have the hot fudge sundae. These guys do it just the right way. There's the way we like it. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't help you. You don't have the traditional steak fare has to be the, the porterhouse for three or four or whatever it is. The specific sides, the cream spinach, the, you know, the hash browns, the sauteed onion, all that kind of stuff, and the hot fudge sundae. If you're missing the hot fudge sundae, we're out. We're out. Okay, I'd love to help you. I'd like to help you and your mom with your restaurant. We'd probably even get a discount there. We don't care. I'm going to ask them. I'm going to ask them, Lee and Laura, but, I, you know, listen, this is our threesome. But with me, I'm thinking, I'm like, hey, maybe I'll ask that girl who I'm taking a dear of at Hanson. I'm like, maybe I'll ask her because I'm thinking I'm still in. Every time I meet somebody, I'm like, like in anything. I'm still a kid. I'm like, hey, maybe this will work out. I'm like a girl that way. I'm thinking maybe this is the one. Maybe this, who knows, you know, we'll get to know each other. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I was thinking that way. So this, you know, so screw that, right? And, you know, I was on the Comedy Cellar podcast the next day, and Natterman, Dan Natterman said, oh, Jessica's always friends with girls. He's friends with a lot of girls. He's friends with a lot of girls. He's got a lot of girlfriends. You know? And I'm like, yeah, I need this from Dan Natterman. Yes, I do have a lot of girlfriends, but those are girls I'm not, you know, attracted to or have maybe fooled around with, and now we're good friends. I don't usually open with a girl that's attractive being a friend, you know what I'm saying? I don't mind. I love having girlfriends, but there's got to be like an open. I, I, I'm not just going to be friends with this girl. She's way hot. Can't do it. I'm still a dude. No matter what every, anybody thinks, no matter all the plays I see, the fact that I want to be in Broadway musicals, the fact that I live alone at this age with a cat, I am still a man. And I won't be made to look ridiculous. And I told that girl, now you get out of here. Because I know your boyfriend. I heard that story. And the whole time, I'm thinking of the line that's in this upcoming Godfather. And I thought, I would not, and I would not be made the fool. And I thought, you would pull the strings one day. You would hold the strings. I will not be made a fool of. Because that's what I feel like. I'm going to be made a fool of. Well, I don't want to be made a fool of. So, and you know, when I found out that I had the extra ticket, because, I mean, again, how gay is it? I'm taking my sister. She can't make it. So it just gets gayer and gayer. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to take a date. You know, and every time I have something to do, I'm like, no, I'm going to, you know, I got a wedding. I'm like, no, you know what? I'm going to get a date. I'm going to get a date for this. Well, you know, it's difficult. But I've been trying harder, and I I want to get a date, you know, for this. But, you know, I also want to go with somebody who's going to appreciate it. And that's why I thought that girl would appreciate it, because she knows shows. She hasn't seen it. She's on Broadway. I don't know why she can't get a ticket herself. She's such a Broadway star or whatever. Plus, I think she thought I meant Hamilton. So there was a whole lack of trouble there. But I cannot tell you the relief today that I have that I'm not going to take her. Because I was thinking about it the whole time. I'm like, oh, I'm very excited. I hope she meets me the week before so we can have like a drink before and kind of get to know each other. That way I would, that's how I was going to, like, hey, would you, I mean, I was pretty much going to say, do you want to go on a date before this happens? So then, and then she would have said, this would have happened anyway, which is good. But 
I don't think I have to feel guilty or bad about it. Because even my sister was just like, well, you know, that's her problem. She should have been forthcoming. But you can look at that so many different ways. Let's move on. After Tuesday, I was feeling damn good. But the Friday show was looming. So Wednesday, I went down to the Greenwich Village Comedy Club, which is a dump and a half. I've never performed there before. I've gotten, you know, I'm like past. I'm allowed to perform there. I don't want to perform there. It sucks. But I needed the spot. And Sheba was running the show. And she comes, comes by, but I stop at the cellar, and they're doing their pod, their radio show. So I go on the radio show because Florentine's there, Jim Florentine and Ben Bailey. And uh, they're just like, sit down. So I sat down, and I was on their show for an hour, just on the spur of the moment. And I love being on that show, and I love being, you know, at the cellar. So I was like, whatever. And then I went down to the Greenwich Club, and I did my spot, and it went very well. You know, I was getting much more and more confidence. And it was only like five minutes, but it went well. You know what I'm saying? I was just kind of messing with the audience a little bit, which is something I usually don't do. But I was feeling very comfortable on stage with what I was doing. And I think everybody thought I had a good set. Then I went to DC Benny's storytelling show, which I'm doing next month on May 17th, just to see what that was about. And uh, I don't think I'll have any problems because everybody is um, bad. Yeah, that's right. I didn't see Rachel do it so i can't judge there was this one girl who was really good but i think people i don't think they know how to tell a story i don't know the ones i saw eh, not that great not that great i'm gonna try and make it great um but i wanted to check it out and then me and florentine were talking again then i went back to the cellar hung out at the table for you know then all of a sudden it's like midnight already i'm like i gotta get up because i got so much to do tomorrow let alone go to work and then after i go to work i'm gonna do i'm gonna do Emilio Ankara and um, the Gone Girls podcast uh, before I do my spot at the New York Comedy Club, my final spot before Friday. And Emilio, the owner of the New York Comedy Club, was so kind to give me a, a, a 9.30 primetime 10-minute spot before my last, you know, the last show before I did the, uh, you know, the big gig. That it was so nice. So I did his wife's podcast beforehand in another room. And we did that for a couple hours. And that was fun. Again, uh, you know, so it was very fun. But it's like, it's funny. And, and I like those girls because they at least prepare a little something. They prepare a little something. They have a script that they do. Where I just like that people prepare for the show. It seems like they put a lot of social media work into it so i like that i like people that prepare because you know i've told you i've been on shows and they just get the mic and like so uh so what have you been doing you know but it i like shows that prepare like the way i do or it doesn't at least look professional you know there's talking to a ball uh, you know they don't know i don't know what i, I don't know what the sound quality is like i'm curious because they have that snowball that i never knew i thought that was only to take calls but and, and that's, they they were doing it right by the bathroom, so people are walking in inside the bathroom. I know because it's really funny because the day before I just did the Comedy Cellar podcast or radio show where everybody is like going in and out, but that's the fun of it. But with theirs, when people are going in and out to use the bathroom in a coffee shop, that's that's not good. <laughs> I think they got to move it somewhere else. I think I'm going to bring them here one day so they can. They've been dying to see my setup, which 
I don't know. It's a pretty good setup because the sound quality is pretty good, I think, right? I was nervous last week. My sound quality wasn't good. I am hearing some form of hissing sound. I'm not sure how to get rid of, but I still think the sound quality is not horrid. Um, so then I did that show and I did really well. Like, you know, in my, like I'm saying, I did well where I felt very comfortable going to perform in this arena the next night. And everybody was very pleased with it too, like the, you know, the other comics and stuff. Remember how I was saying when I first started, I think everybody's like, wait, wait, this guy is opening for Sarah Silverman? This guy's horrible. Why is he, op-? you know, but I really feel like I really worked hard at putting a routine together in the last three weeks, and I was ready. I was ready. I was feeling very confident. I was not nervous. I wasn't getting a stomach ache or anything. I went home that night. I ran the routine again. It only timed out to 13 minutes. I was a little uptight, but I was just like, I'll just go slow. I'll just go slow. Add a couple things in, and I was ready. So on Friday morning when I woke up, I you know I had some I had some pancakes because I was not sure when I was going to eat again. And I ran through the routine one more time, and I'm like, I'm, I, I feel ready. I feel ready. So on Friday, I, you know, we had the, um, you know, the plan with the, uh, with the stipulations. Now, Dave, we just got a call from Sarah Silverman's manager. Uh, you're going to open for her cabinet. Now, here are the stipulations. One, she will be flying uh, first class. You will be flying coach. When you get to Toronto, you will be staying with her on a sofa bed. And then uh, as soon as her planes go wheels up, you are allowed to go home to your destination. Uh, good luck to you. Now, the salary range is between 12 and $13 million. <laughs> I wish. So I go meet her uh you know, I have to go all the way down. I'm so pissed because this guy is like, I thought he was maybe, we were going to LaGuardia. I thought he was taking the Queen for a bridge. I'm like, can you pick me up at my house? You know, like even I'm like, hey, can you do me a favor, pick me up at my house? No. <laughs> like, there's like, no. So I meet her at the, you know, when we get in the car. Oh, and I think there's pictures of me meeting her outside the Bowery. I was just waiting for her. And she comes out. There was all these photographers there waiting for Jessica Simpson. And uh, one of my friends from work, uh, showed me a, you know, again, where I'm looming in the background with my new series, Unidentified Man, and uh, just looks so stupid, just waiting, holding my bag. I had just one knapsack going, uh, going away. So we went, we got to LaGuardia. We met this beautiful actress. What is her name? She's in this show called Bloodline, and Sarah recognized her right away. Beautiful, blonde, totally age-appropriate, but married to a guy who's in Suits, which I guess they film in Toronto, and we talked to her for the entire, she was on our flight, and we talked to her for the entire time. Gorgeous girl. Can't remember her name. It's something weird. It's like Jasminda or something, but she's totally, she's Australian. I just can't remember her name. Really pretty. And really nice. And I guess she was there to see her kids. She's like, I haven't seen my kids in three months. Whatever. I'm like, oh, hey, that's good. What? Um, but she was great, and that was fun. And then Sarah was in uh, that first class on that Air Canada is sweet magic. It's like they have those single seats with the pods. But I wasn't in a bad seat. I was like right in the first seat where there was a lot of legroom and it was very pleasant. And the flight's an hour and four seconds or four minutes, whatever it is. It couldn't have been easier. 
And as soon as we got there, we got in the car, and there was traffic, and it took two hours to get to the casino. But, you know, we meet all our guy. They're holding up my... I didn't get to see my sign. She saw it first, so I didn't get to see the sign with my name. You know, like, they're holding it up, Dave Juskow. And uh, so then we, you know, we met this guy, Shake, and he was our bodyguard the whole time. Big, brooding black guy, but he, he loved me. He loved me so much as if we were friends for years, he just nonstop picking on me. I know that's my personality when people meet me. They just want to give me shit all the time. He gave me so much shit about my set. It was like really funny. I think he, you know, I think he just thought it was funny and he liked me, but he always wanted to get a picture and everything. Maybe it was a gay thing. No, <laughs> it, it wasn't right. Anyway, we take it takes two hours to get there. We get there. We do a sound check. We get there. We're doing a sound check, and I get to see the empty arena, and I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> I don't start to panic. I'm still like, no, no, this is exactly what I envisioned in my head, but wow. Really, it was like playing a stadium. It was like stadium seating, you know? I mean, I don't know how to put – I mean, I, I it could have been over 2,000 seats. I'm not sure how much it holds. I guess I could look it up, but it was huge, and I'm like, I cannot believe – I'm going to play to this size crowd this evening. I mean, this is unbelievable. But I still was not panicked. And then we decided we would go up. We had, you know, we had hotel rooms at the casinos, but she didn't want to stay overnight there. She wanted to get the drive out of the way so we can just get to the hotel. Smart move, actually. And she just got herself, with her own money, a place at the at the the Ritz down in Toronto. Uh but we had our own room, so she, you know, we went up there, and then her electricity wasn't working, so we had to stay in my room, and uh, I didn't really get another chance to practice, but I was able to. We have $125 food vouchers or something, so between the two of us, 250 bucks. So they had a steak place there, you know, like like Wolfgang's. So I'm like, well, I'll have a wedge salad and a shrimp cocktail, like, just to eat, because I hadn't eaten since the pancakes at, like, 9 in the morning. So just eat something. I hope it's not giving me a cigarette. Meanwhile... You know, these places, they're always trying to fancy shit up, and they put all this dill on the shrimp, and it was gross, and it almost made me sick, but it didn't. And that's where I got the text from that girl saying she had a boyfriend, and I'm like, this blows. Meanwhile, Sarah's getting uh, dressed in the, you know, the room, in the bathroom, and so there's nowhere for me to kind of find. But you know what? That was probably best, because we were just hanging out together, which was good. Uh, but I thought she wanted to actually practice her set because I know she wanted to go over because she wasn't even ready. She was using a pad of paper and stuff that she brought on stage with her. So we go down and they're like, Dave, do you want to order more food? And I'm like, yeah, I do. Like after, after, I want to eat like a pig. And we decided that we would get the stuff to go and we didn't either eat it in the hotel or on the way to the hotel because this is another hour and a half trip without the traffic. So this guy comes in, he goes, hey, we're having, you know, because there was some security stuff, we're wanding everybody, you know, they're for security issues. So while you're upstage, people are still going to be getting seated. I'm like, I don't care. Um, in fact, if you have an opener that cares, then he's a dick. Uh, obviously, I care, but what am I going to say? What am I going to say? Oh, no, then let's hold the show for me. So Sarah introduces me. This is what she does. With the soundtrack, she... Uh, she says hello to the audience. She says, I'm giving you two and a half minutes to put your phones away. She plays a Christy Hines song. And then she introduces me, and I come out. And I remember I was coming out on the stage. You know, it's packed. It's probably sold out, almost sold out, they said. And 
I, it, it was taking me so long to get to the microphone, I had to start running. It was such a huge stage, you know, and I'm like, woo, what's up? And I get up and I'm like, I'm, I, I'm, like, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And, and I got to say, I, I think it was working well. I think some of the stuff didn't work, but I, I think it was working well. I didn't see one non-smiling face or anybody looking at the watch or anything. I mean, it, it was going well. I was talking to a couple people in the front row. I think, it, and plus there was a huge giant screen of me, which I didn't know, on both sides. So people could see way in the back. But I really think I did okay. I was not displeased with it. And if uh, anybody had given me any kind of, hey, that was great, that was great, but nobody ever did. I mean, you can't blame them. I mean, they were all about Sarah, but, you know, I saw people after, like, oh, you did a great job. I love your thing about things. So they remembered some of it, so that's good. But, like, um, you know, Sarah, Sarah was like, oh, I watched the whole thing. It was so funny. When you when you landed the joke, we were happy for you. When you didn't land, we were laughing. Um, so... And I know there were a couple like that, but it was it was fun, and I think I did a good job. And uh, then I couldn't believe, you know, I was like, I think I was at the thirteen minute mark, and I'm like, oh, now what do I do? I got two minutes left. So, uh, so then I went a little over, and I'm like, oh, she's not going to mind if I go over because she was mad that she had to do seventy five minutes anyway. So I went like a little bit over. Just finishing up the gag. But it worked. And I went out on the laugh. And it, I mean, I was very happy. And, and then when she came out, you know, we hugged for a while. And it was really great. And then um, I brought her on. And then she did like 80 minutes. I watched her entire set. Meanwhile, also talking to everybody about the Maple Leafs Washington Capitals score. Because it was great. You know, when you're up there, they're really into hockey. And the Leafs were playing. And it went into overtime. So we, I was talking to this kid. And his boss was just like, go get the score. Go find out the score, dummy. And he kept coming back. And they ended up losing. So, But everybody was really nice. And uh, it was really fun. And that guy, Shake, he kept including me in everything. He was really nice. But he's like, hey, it's a casino crowd. You know, and I'm like, wait, I thought he had a good set. He just kept, I think he was busting my chops. But I don't know. Maybe I didn't do as good. But then Sarah didn't do as well as I've seen her do before either and she was like you know these casino crowds like she was complaining about it this is like the exact same scenario the first time she was on Letterman she thought she did a great job and then Letterman comes over to her and says you know these crowds sometimes you know they've been out all day and she's like what what are you saying you know I mean she did the exact same thing she did to me that she that Letterman did to her when I thought it was pretty good and I mean I think I had the same reaction as she did in the sense, you know, that it was just going well, and this is the way it is, a couple of applause breaks, and, and you know, just, I mean, casino crowds are weird, and, there, you know, she goes, there was a lot of old guys there, they were all looking at their watches, they want to get back, and, you know, her, like she even says, her act isn't everybody's cup of tea, but, you know, I think with when it comes to her, the people are just so thrilled to be in her presence in person that it doesn't even matter, but she's reading from a, a yellow notepad. She's like, oh, let me see. What else do I have? Uh, like, it was like an open mic night. And, you know, I've always been like, well, that's that's not, you know, if I do it, it's, I mean, I it's better for me because then it makes me less paranoid if I have the material up there for memorization. But I guess nobody cares what she does, but it is kind of weird when you're paying all that money. I guess you don't want to see anybody. I mean, she what she should do is have a, uh, a teleprompter or, you know, a set list like like musicians do. 
instead of the pad. Now, I couldn't request that, but I, I would if I was the headliner for sure. But again, I thought I did a good job. I wasn't uh, as thrilled as I actually was coming off stage Thursday where I felt much better. But, um, you know, I was glad it was over and I thought I did a good job. And, you know, there it is. Then Saturday, did the meet and greet. Then we were talking to some people. And this guy was wearing, you know, my end joke is a Chewbacca, Chewbacca joke. And this kid was wearing a shirt. And he was thrilled. He's like, oh, my God, yes, I was wearing the Chewbacca shirt. So it was fun. I think, you know, they didn't come to see me, so it doesn't matter. And I wasn't upset that if anybody doesn't want to talk to me or anything. I just wanted to make sure the set went well and that Sarah thought I was good enough to open for her. And I really never got that validation. So I really don't know. I really thought I did a good job. And you guys know me. I would tell you if I sucked. Because there was some shows two weeks ago where it was bad and embarrassing. But I thought I did a very good job. But I don't know. Maybe the... I wasn't getting the validation from anybody, so maybe I didn't. For somebody who only performs in front of 16 people the night before that I did that in front of 2,000 people, I thought I did an okay job, and I was pleased with my performance, and I think I could do it again, and I think I could be better. So then we went home. We had ordered food. Now, I brilliantly ordered lamb chops instead of a steak because I knew we would probably end up eating in the car and I have to go to a knife and fork. So I ordered lamb chops because I had that big money voucher. I'm like, screw it. Lamb chops, which were delicious. You know, I could hold them like a lolly, like a turkey leg. Um, I usually don't like to eat that in front of Sarah, but she didn't mind. I was trying to hold the box the other way so she couldn't see. She doesn't like meat. Uh, shrimp, macaroni, and cheese, and mashed potatoes. It was Delicious. And I didn't get a stomachache because there was no stress. When we got to the hotel room, my bed was already made up. It was brilliant. Then the two of us ate all this cheese and grapes and like chocolate bars. And then we went to bed. Now, the next morning I woke up because I said, hey, do you want to wake up early tomorrow and walk around Toronto? I've never been to Toronto. I've never been to Toronto. And, And she goes, no. I got to get a good night's sleep because she had a show last night too. So, you know, I understand. So she was setting an alarm for 11 even though we didn't have to leave until 1. And I wanted to get up and just walk around anywhere. And as you know, as or I mean as you know, but what I played up front was an old SCTV sketch where it's a it's a it's a that I remember, you know, growing up I was just playing that. Um, called, uh, it was called Garth, Gord, Fiona, and Alice. And it stars John Candy, Joe Flaherty, and Andrea Martin. Now, I remember it growing up, but I had no idea what it was. But me and Attell have talked about this one SCTV sketch for years. And again, I, I didn't understand it, so I've been looking it up online. I found some stuff. Apparently, this little tiny movie that they made was based on a 1970s Canadian, very apparently popular Canadian film called Going Down the Road about two, like a lawyer and a surgeon who go to Toronto to look for work. And they did their own version of it. And... You know, I didn't understand it. I didn't think it was brilliant at the time. 
But there was one part I always remembered. It's these two idiots, and they're trying to have a great time. They're saying how great it's going to be. And all they do is talk about Young Street in Toronto. Young Street. And uh, we never understood, but Atel and I, you know, we had seen it before we knew each other. And we would talk about it all the time. I think this is a... Stop! Oh, let's go home. All right. Me, no! Not me. I'm going to Young Street. Young Street? What's that? What's that? You do not live till you see Young Street. She's right, Gord. I've seen it once. There's girls there and everything. Well, let's go! Young Street, girls! Get the record man! Save the record man! So then... Joe Flaherty and Eugene Levy and uh, and uh, John Candy and their characters go to Young Street in Toronto and they're walking around to that music and they're just, you know, pointing at stuff and looking and it's just all stupid. There's nothing to it or anything. And they're just like, Young Street! They just kept saying, Young Street! And that's all they would do. Like they're, it, But it's apparently based on this movie that I don't know about, but that's all they would talk about. It comes up later as well. I had to know. Now I gotta marry you. Oh, God! We got a kid coming and you haven't got a job. Oh, what are we going to do? I don't know. I've got to think about it. And the best place to think about it is Young Street. <laughs> so I remember watching it, you know, as a kid and being like, you know, just going like, I have no idea what's happening. I don't know what Young Street is. I don't even know what Canada is. But I always remember that sketch. So when Attell was doing Insomniac and he went to Toronto... I said, are you going to Young Street? And he's, you know, he, he knew exactly what I was talking about. He goes, are you kidding? Everything happens on Young Street. But I think it was a joke where, you know, nothing happens on Young Street, but Young Street is the most important part of Toronto. I guess it's like their 42nd Street because I went to Young Street yesterday because I must. How could I not go? You know, this is me we're talking about. The, the SCTV, you know, which has shaped my life around. You know, when Al Jarreau died, we're like, let's play the SCTV sketch that means so much to me about Al Jarreau. So how can I not go to Young Street? And then, of course, while I'm on Young, on Young Street, call David Tell and say, you're not going to believe where I am. I'm on Young Street. I mean, how can I not do that? I don't know. I've got to think about it. And the best place to think about it is Young Street. <laughs> All I needed to do was get that music. So um, it was really funny. He goes, yeah, that's a great place. You got to go to Young Street. You know, like, and, and I went up there. I'm like, that was actually the worst part of town. Like, not in a bad way. It's just like, no, I was walking through the town. It was a Saturday morning. It was nice. It was clean. It was a very nice city. Uh, I was kind of by the Blue Jay Stadium, which is very exciting. And... And then when I got to Young Street, it was a little more dirtier. It was busier. Um, and there were really, I mean, there's a couple bars on it and stuff. But I, I and, and it's like I went there because now I got the joke. From 1982, I got the joke. Young Street isn't all that, but I couldn't. <laughs> I said, when I got back to the room, I said to Sarah, I'm like, I had to go there to understand this 30-year-old joke. <laughs> Oh, my God, I get it. Young Street. So 
I, you know, it's like, it, so that was a great walk in the morning. And then I got COVID, went back to the hotel, and I told her all about the SCTV. And she thought it was really funny, too. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I had to go to find out what the joke meant. So that was, like, awesome. That was, like, so awesome because that's all I could think about. As soon as she said, when I opened Toronto, my head immediately moved to John Candy walking with boots in Young Street, whatever character he was playing. Young Street! I kept saying that in my head, and Sarah didn't understand what I, not just in my head, but I just kept saying it while I was walking around. Uh, but that was, it was a beautiful day yesterday in Toronto, and the sun was out, it was fun just walking around, and the night, you know, it was over, the show was over for me, so it was great, and I was excited to come back home. But, uh, Young Street, and you know how that show ends is the, uh, the two of them decide to go to, they said, you know where we should go is Edmonton. There's a Jasper Avenue there where I heard you can walk around until 1130 at night. All right. And there's jobs there. <laughs> SCTV. It's one of those things where, think about that. SCTV was so brilliant and so far ahead of Saturday Night Live. So far ahead that they did a, a, a sketch of a movie I'd never heard of that rarely anybody had heard of, and they just went for it anyway because they didn't care. I heard they used one of the actors from the actual movie, and I saw it, and I laughed anyway, you know, even though it was kind of an awkward sketch. I didn't really understand it, but I remember it still made me laugh whenever they would say Young Street, and then 30 years later, it's still in my head. That these and now learning more about it, where they really took a risk in doing something like this, and they just kind of went for it. Those guys, ah, so talented. You know, we're not going to see the likes of a show like that ever again, where you're influenced years later, where you can actually, you know, go. So I mean, think about how I bad I wanted to see. Where did they film this? Where like where's the their studio? Where they might have filmed. I don't know. Like, I wanted to go. I'm like, is there a tour of the SCTV facilities somewhere, sir? One guy knew what I was talking about, but uh, he had mentioned the uh, Hank Bain sketch uh, with the uh, the cabbages. He said Conrad. I said Conrad. I'm like, oh, Hank Bain. His brother, Hank Bain. Uh, damn. That was cool. That was way cool. Totally worth the trip in every way. If I hadn't done well, if I had done well, it would have ended with... Young Street! So I was pretty happy about that. So then we went back to the airport, and I waited for Sarah to go. I stayed with her until she left. That was the plan. And then I was able to go home. My sister picked me up at the airport, and we had dinner with my mother because it was her birthday on the same day as Hitler's. So we went to the Cheesecake Factory. Cheesecake Factory! On Young Street! And then I took the train home and everything uh, that I couldn't wait. I was so happy to be home. It's a beautiful day out. Beautiful day. And that's pretty much the story of Toronto in that sense that um, I guess that's all I can tell you. It was exciting. It was, you know, to play something like that. It's like if it doesn't even happen again, like I had that experience, you know. Now, during this week, we had gotten news that Clifton James died. Do you remember who Clifton James is? 
because uh, <laughs> this um, might remind you. If you got your little pointy heads out of them pajamas, you wouldn't be late for work. Yeah, that's right. It's the sheriff from Live and Let Die and the man with the golden gun. Now, that guy lived to be in his 90s, and he used the word pointy heads to uh, to when he was referring to Asian people. So, if that's the way it is, I should live to 105. This is what they say. James was such, James Clifton James, was such a hit in Live and Let Die, so they say, that because he more than old held his own with sophisticated English actor Roger Moore. But he was such a hit that writers carved a role for him in the next Bond film, The Man with the Golden Gun, in 74, James this time playing the same sheriff on vacation in Thailand and in the epitome of the ugly American abroad gets pushed into the water by a baby elephant. But his daughter has revealed he wasn't supposed to actually go in. They gave him sugar in his pocket to feed the elephant but he wasn't giving it to the elephant fast enough. Now, here's the best part. Said her father met with real Southern sheriffs to prepare for this role as Pepper. Of his hundreds of roles, it was the Louisiana sheriff that people most often recognized and approached him around. Do you really need to meet with sheriffs? You're going to play a stupid part in that? Is that really Was that really necessary? Couldn't you just kind of acted any way you wanted it was it necessary i mean because if you really met with sheriffs and that's your caricature of sheriffs in louisiana then i suggest none of us go to louisiana because they're idiots because that means the sheriffs in louisiana are the stupidest people on the planet i would never have said i met with some sheriffs and this is exactly what they're like they're morons i would never say that in an interview i'd be like i would tell you guys, you know, maybe, and be like, I just went with these guys. But I do it like, you know, with my on the line. They are idiots. And that is exactly the way I prefer. You know, it's like he's saying it like, yeah, I met with these guys. And they're very, I mean, that, what an embarrassment for anyone that's been, uh, you know, in the sheriff's department in Louisiana. It's an embarrassment. And then these idiot James Bond writers are like, and hey, we got to get this guy in the next one. Oh, way to ruin the franchise, jerk offs. That was like ridiculous. Those, uh, it's such a. Meanwhile, you know, I love it. As a kid, you love it. But if I was like an adult now, and that happened with Daniel Craig, I'd probably be furious. I don't know, but you pointy-headed bastards! <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> you pointy-heads had no more idea of traffic control than a goony bird. Than a goony. Uh, in other news, you know, Phil Sims got fired from CBS. My Aunt Judy couldn't be more thrilled. She has hated Phil Sims as a commentator since day one. And we were always um, at odds with that because I always thought Phil Sims was a cool commentator. I like that Phil Sims was, you know, uh, you know, a Super Bowl hero and a New York Giant, even though I don't care for the Giants. But I thought it was cool that he was their A-list commentator. He was... Seemed like he was a knowledgeable guy, but apparently, 
you know, his he, he's too outspoken, and now he's being replaced by Tony Romo, which is why he retired. It's a smart move by Tony Romo to retire and go into this very, very cushy spot. I'm sure Tony wanted to play really badly, but if that a spot like that opens up, you have to take it, and that's why they were like, what if we get rid of Phil Sims and you take his job? I mean, would you leave for that or... And now Phil Simms is, I think he's going to be on the CBS Today. He hasn't been talking because he's probably devastated. It's an embarrassment to get fired like that. But he said, you know, he, he said he talked to Boomer about it and stuff. And Tony Gonzalez left the show. So he's going to do the CBS show. It's probably a better deal for him anyway. He's not going to have to travel all over and he can stay in New York and he lives in New Jersey. So, But he did say he was initially hurt. How could he not be? He didn't get, He got fired just because... They found somebody newer and a cowboy. Think about that. Phil Simms is a New York giant. What's worse than getting replaced with a legendary cowboy, but who didn't win a Super Bowl and didn't even make a second playoff game. And nobody even knows if Tony Romo's going to be even any good, but he sure is some eye candy. Oh, but they're just hoping. They're just assuming he knows the game. He's going to be good. I guess we'll see. Maybe in a year they just bring uh, Phil back. I mean, technically he should have started much more down the line in like the second or third tier of, you know, not doing the Thursday night games and the Sundays. But they're they're giving him, you know, they I guess they had to make him an offer to make him come out of retirement or make him retire and do this. It's a smart move. Also, I found this unbelievable article, which I. It's, it's, let's see if you remember it as I do. An Ohio man who turned in $14,000 he found on the side of the road says he wanted to set a good example for his children. Jake Bowers found the money on April 8th as he drove his family to a park in Worthington, a suburb outside of Columbus. Bowers said when he initially saw the bag on the roadside, he thought it might contain a laptop. Instead, it was filled with $100 bills. Bowers took the bag to a police station. It was returned to... By its owner. Uh, I don't know if it's just me. Obviously, I'm old, but it reminds me right away. And this is a small article of this. Mrs. Brady? Yes? Uh, my name is Toner. I just got my wallet back from the police. They gave me your address. Oh, Mr. Stoner, I'm so happy for you. Won't you come in, please? Well, just for a minute. Me and my miss have been doing some frantic backtracking the last few days. Oh, I can just imagine. I wanted to thank your boys for turning it in. Oh, certainly, Mr. Stoner. I'll just call them. Uh, Greg, boys? We were driving cross-country, and I pulled into that lot to fix a flat. I took off my coat. Must have fallen out of my pocket. Sure was stupid not having any identification in the wallet. Well, the important thing is, you got your money back. Can't tell you, Mrs. Brady, how much it means to us. Me and the missus have been saving up for this trip for years. Hello. Hi. Hi. Oh, Mr. Stoner, this is Greg, Bobby, and Peter. You're fine, honest boys, and I want to thank you and give you a reward. Gee, $100. I think that's a little too much, Mr. Stoner. Mr. Stoner, this is my husband, Mike Brady. How do you do? How do you do? Dad's right. This is too much. Well, they got to take something. How about $50? No, I think that's still too much. Right, boys? 
I agree, Dad. Me too. Well, I, I gotta give him something. Uh, how about $20? Well, thanks, Mr. Stoner. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks again to all of you. From me and the missus. Bye, Mr. Stoner. Bye, sir. Goodbye. Bye. Certainly Goodbye. hope you have a nice trip, Mr. Thank Stoner. You, thank you. Hang on to the wallet. <laughs> I will. Well, what's the matter with you guys? What'd you settle on 24, Dad? Because I think it's enough, Greg. It's too much. 18 is a lot easier to divide by six. Let's go. How about those boys? Yeah, well, it really doesn't surprise me, honey. Me and the missus got a great bunch of kids. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Well, I think, you know... I don't see $100 being a very bad... They they turned in $1,100. They gave him 100 Well, I think that's too much. Fuck you. That You know what, Mike Brady, you son of a bitch? You let them have that 100 bucks. Those boys turned in a wallet. They certainly didn't have to. And every move we've ever seen since then... What am I yelling at? It's a stupid TV show that never happened. I'm just so angry they wouldn't let him keep the 100 the guy got a thousand dollars, but he had eleven hundred dollars, and then he got a thousand back. He's going to give the kids who found the wallet a hundred bucks. That seems like a fair amount. Then he wouldn't even give him fifty. Shut up. He's just still so angry because when they were filming that, they were also filming The Godfather. Remember, I keep telling you that. He's like, you know, Michael's has this scene with his father. I don't know. This will maybe Senator Corleone, President Corleone. Not enough time, Michael. And then he's on lunch break, and he's like. Yeah, we just filmed this intense scene where I'm taking over the head of the family now that my father's sick and everything. What'd you do today? Well, the boys found a wallet full of $1,100, and I told them, uh, why am I bothering? Enjoy your lunch, Al. So that totally, you know, it's so funny. I mean, it's just like, I, my mind is so tainted. It's no wonder I can't find a, a wife or a girlfriend because... Think about where my mind goes to. I read a small story, a small side story about a wallet that was found in $1,400, and it immediately goes to a ridiculous Brady Bunch episode that no one would remember, except for the people who listen to this show. Yay for us. <laughs> hey, now. Oh, my God. Groundhog Day, the musical? Got unbelievable reviews. I don't know how. In fact, I was talking to the people at Significant Other, which was the show we went to see, and they were like, we don't know how it got good reviews because apparently their reviews weren't that good, and therein lies the problem. They don't have any stars. Uh, a little too young. You know, it, All the, unfortunately, perfect storm lined up for them not to continue this wonderful show. And Groundhog Day, the musical, which, again, is just okay, got, for some reason, this rave review... And now they got great ticket sales and everything, and it's just okay. But I suppose it's one of those musicals if one of you guys, you know, direct messaged me and you were like, what show do you think I should see when I'm there? I'm like, well, you know, a fun one for the family, I guess, would be Groundhog Day. I don't know if I can re recommend anything else. I certainly cannot recommend Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Obviously, I would say Book of Mormon, but those are hard tickets to get. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
And then I've heard, like, the last four people I've talked to have told me that Dear Evan Hansen ain't that good. So I'm very confused, but we'll see. I'm going to wait. I've decided to become godfather to Connie's baby. I still don't understand that, uh, what that means. I didn't know what it meant then, and I don't know what it means now. And that's the name of that tune. All right, what do we got going on this week? I am doing the Tom Papa show on Wednesday. Then Friday, I'm going to ESPN in the compound where all boys should go before they die in lovely Bristol. (laughs) And then Saturday, I am opening for David Tell at the Stress Factory in New Brunswick, New Jersey, which ought to be a very interesting show. And I don't know what's happening after that. Oh, I guess that's the end of the show. Well, I hope you liked today's episode. I... I hope I described everything okay. I feel like I, like I, I don't know. I feel like I didn't describe it enough or something. I don't know. Maybe because, maybe because I wasn't feeling the. I'm talking about the Friday, the Toronto thing enough. Like I still can't compress it. You know, it was only yesterday that it happened. Yesterday, I was actually in Toronto. I mean, I never travel, and now my passport has two stamps in it. First time ever. The last passport I had only had one stamp in it. Now it's got two. I should go somewhere else now and try and fill it up. Like a little contest. But that's the story. We'll see. You know, next week, am I going to stick with comedy? What am I going to do? I don't know. Hopefully I'll be on a couple of radio shows like Jim Norton again to promote The Godfather. May 9th with Jim Norton, Greg Rogel, Rachel Feinstein, all our friends. And then... Uh, June 14th, uh, we got uh, we have added on. June 14th, the Big Brother show at Gotham. Now we've got Sam Morell, Michelle Wolf, Greer Barnes, and uh, Rachel Feinstein. So, great shows coming up. More to follow. You'll hear everything as it happens right here on the Dave Jusco Show, as always. I want everybody to have a terrific week. The weather is just going to get better and better as we delve in to the spring and summer months. I'll see you next time, everybody. Have a wonderful last week of April. See you next time.